Hello everybody, this is Brian Janikowski, Friday 27th of April. I'm Christian Thwaite. And I'm Emily Takenvertz, and let's get started, Christian. So this week we saw 10-year treasuries, top 3% um, in yields. Tell us if and why this is significant, um, or whether or not you know we should be worried about this. I, I don't think it's terribly significant from, uh, from a sort of macro and long-term bond performance perspective. Obviously, it has been a few years. I think it was 2014, the last time that the 10-year Treasury had a three-handle in front of it. Since then, most of the time, it's been two-something, uh, and, and for a while, it dipped into the ones. Um, I think this is a combination of the Fed still sticking by its rate increase plans for the rest of the year. Uh, most people expect three. Some people expect four. Uh, we've already had one. Um, and I think the Fed has since then been consistent about saying that's likely to happen. Secondly, we've seen a little bit more uncertainty come into the market. Uh, and that's mostly around the trade and budget deficit issues, both of which have, you know, the news hasn't materially changed over the last two or three weeks, but uh, we wrote about it at length a couple of weeks ago. But I think people are just beginning to sink in because there aren't a lot of big growth indicators coming along at the moment. Um, and thirdly, uh, there's a lot of refunding. Uh, so in the first quarter alone, the Treasury has to fund about $214 billion. Now, this is not net new money. Treasury bills mature and they have to be replaced. But that's an awful lot of funding for the market to have to absorb and this week in particular was quite high. So I think a combination of those pushed it over three. It hasn't held there. It's backed off to the mid 290s. I think we're closing at about 295. So we'll see. But I don't think it's terribly important in the kind of medium term. Um, the what, what is important is the shape of the yield curve and we've seen less flattening in that than we have uh, in prior weeks. So we just have to keep an eye on this. But we're as you know, certainly not in the camp of expecting a bear market in bonds. We don't think they're going to do very much. We think they're going to hold pretty well in this, uh, say, 275 to 325 range. And to that point, can you explain um, and can you talk to our listeners a little bit about um, with this uptick in yield, we see prices falling for bond funds or for bonds in general. Can you explain to our listeners uh, why bonds still deserve a um, a place in a, a well-diversified and anchor portfolio. You, know, you see a lot of people saying, oh, my bonds have been doing terrible in terms of the price of the funds this year. But, um, you know, can you explain that income component and, and the bonds kind of rolling off and getting that higher interest rate? Yes, you put your finger on it. It is just it is the income component that you have to that you have to expect as bond. Look, when you when you're a there's only really two classes of asset. You pull everything down. If you're a bond owner, you're a lender to a company or the treasury or whoever is issuing the bond. And if you're an equity owner, you're an owner. Uh, so if you're a lender, you want to get your money back, and that's the most important you know uh, point about bonds is that you expect them to mature you know, at par, whether they're callable early or non-callable like treasuries. So they're there for safety and they're there for income. And the way we see it is that if 
uh, if interest rates steadily increase, and we're in a steadily increasing interest rate environment, not a rapidly increasing one, then if, if yields go up, say, 25 basis points a quarter, I don't think I'll do it that much, but just to give an example, is that the bond, you, certain amount of your bonds then mature at the end of the first quarter and they reinvest at the higher rate. Mm -hmm. So you're not sort of being dragged along with, uh, you know, always at a, 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 with, a, with a low coupon bond, which would then be affected in your price. So I think this is where bond investing, particularly in a mutual fund, can kind of steady and, and steady your portfolio results and, and, and kick off a steady stream of income, which is the way really to look at a, a, a mutual fund, especially a mutual fund or ETF, is to look at the total return. Because the price is going to be very misleading mm -hmm. and they're going to be distributing shares in the case of a mutual fund in the form of uh, from their dividend income every quarter. So it's the number of shares that you want to have, which right. you want to look at as they accumulate. So total return, meaning looking at um, not just the price change, but also the income component. Correct. The income component and reinvested. Yeah. Great. Um, moving on, we had some GDP numbers today. Can you just tell us a little bit about that and uh, and what it says about our economy and how it's doing? Yes. And before we do that, apologize for the banging you might hear here, but we've got uh, new tenants upstairs that we know nothing about and they're rebuilding. So you might hear a bit of background noise. But um, yeah, the GDP numbers were a little weak, and they were weak in every single category. And I, well, there's there's a couple of things going on. First of all, since 2008, we've typically had a very sluggish first quarter. Q1 GDP growth has systematically been less than the than the than the subsequent three quarters. Now, the BEA who puts out GDP numbers should smooth all this because there's, that's where the seasonal adjustment has come in. But a lot of economists think that they've, they've somehow tripped up on this seasonal adjustment, not done it as well. So we've seen this almost 10-year pattern of weak Q1 numbers, but then it seems to recover in Q2, 3, and 4. So some of that's just going on. And even the BEA itself says we don't quite know why it's like this. But but anyway, this, year, this year's quarter was exactly the same. So it came in at 2.3%, 2.4%, and the prior one had been at least uh, 40 basis points higher than that. Mm. But now, also, we think we'd seen a lot of uh, uh, consumer activity as a result of the hurricanes. So remember, they seem a long time ago now, but people spent on cars and things like that mm. to replace them and other items in the fourth quarter, bringing some of their purchases uh, a little forward. So we've seen consumer expenditures go down a lot. And then the flip side is that, that that consumer expenditure probably ran down producers, manufacturers, retailers, everybody's inventories in the fourth quarter. And then in the first quarter, they've rebuilt those inventories. So that's the only one component out of GDP, which is that, which showed a positive increase in, in, in Q1. So I think we have to wait. Now, I'm a little skeptical about whether the, the tax cuts are going to really lead to any increase in consumer expenditure. Certainly very skeptical about them leading into wage increases, maybe on the CapEx side. We'll have to wait and see. So um, it does seem to be a little bit of a, a bounce from uh, a year or so ago. Um, but I, I still think for the year we'll be looking at, you know, uh, certainly not more than 3% for the year uh, GDP. So I think we just have to wait wait here. And I, the, it came out this morning... Friday and the market barely uh, took any recognition of it because a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, the indicators along the way had pointed to these types of numbers. Mm -hmm. So more to come. More to come for sure. 
Um, I also wanted to talk a little bit about earnings season. Um, you know, we have, in terms of the kind of the, the, the actual earnings that have been reported, we've seen some, some very pretty good ones. Um, but I want to talk specifically not just about what earnings we've seen, um, but how has the market reacted to these earnings and, yeah. and these good earnings numbers largely? Um, I, I, I think it's sort of if, if in three ways, if the, if the markets, have, if the stock has really outperformed, really done well, really brought home incredible numbers like Amazon, then the, the, the stock has been ticked up pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, that was up 6% and uh, it's done very well. Google also presented uh, really good year on year numbers, but the stock went down. Uh, overnight anyway and then and then was pretty flat Facebook was more in the Amazon category so it really has to be it seemed to be that you had to really have incredibly large numbers to you know to get a stock reaction otherwise it was flat and then if there was any sort of disappointment these things sold off really sharp um, uh, one stock we follow is called LKQ it does a very unglamorous thing about car parts and you know recycling car parts for insurance uh, uh, for insurance purposes, when when company when cars have to go through a, a they get wrecked or they need you know parts from uh, from fender benders and things like that, so it's not a particularly glamorous business, but it missed by a very small amount. I don't know, it's like three three pennies on a sixty sixty cent uh, quarterly earnings, and the stock was off thirty percent. It's since recovered, and so we've seen a little bit of that. Of uh, they get punished really hard, and then people wake up and go, well, maybe it wasn't quite as bad. And we saw Philip Morris do that from the week before, um, and I think what people are worried about is uh, sort of a little bit of peak earnings syndrome. And Caterpillar was the best example in the week. Caterpillar had fantastic numbers, a really well-run company, but the CFO said, perhaps in hindsight, wish he hadn't, but he said we might have seen the peak earnings for the year. Because obviously they're very, uh, they're a very trade, macroeconomic, mm -hmm. global growth play, mm -hmm. capital expenditure, all this kind of stuff, mm -hmm. and uh, the stock sold off very, very sharply. So I think what's happening is uh, we're seeing right now the earnings uh, that we expected back in September, October, November, and there doesn't seem to be a, a, another sort of big event for those for those earnings to continue at the sort of growth rates that they did uh, that they have done in the first quarter. In fact, they just wouldn't be able to because so much of the first quarter was a lot of the first quarter. I would say was was because of the change in corporate tax rates. So it's it's you know we add in all the other things, the trade, the the politics, Korea. I mean, it, it's a little bit of nervousness about the market. Plus, it's not a usually a great seasonal time of year to uh, you know to, to be loading up on stocks. It seems that it also speaks to the um, the kind of resurgence of uncertainty back into the market that we're seeing this year. Of okay, uh, we we were having discussions with North Korea last year, but now it's kind of come to a head, and we don't know really how that's going yeah. to shake out. We certainly don't, and uh, and and markets are not good at politics. They tend to ignore them until they feel that they can't ignore them. They're in their face, and they get flustered. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. So there's um, there's very little that the markets can do about that. And I th I I think we're kind of in this narrative where there isn't a next big thing. Um, so so the market is willing to. Uh, you know, take profits on companies and and just sort of get out of the way. Right. For it, whereas most of last year, the next big thing was perhaps this tax bill. 
tax bill, the rate story was generally good. We got more, as we talked about many times, synchronized macroeconomic global growth. There's less of that now, actually. We saw a little bit of uh, easing, particularly in, uh, in Europe. So, uh, you know, just all in combination of those things which were good uh, last year. You know, and we did get expensive, as we kept on saying. The market was not getting any cheaper. Um, and so I think that's all got to kind of sort itself out into a, you know, into a, a think about what's what's next on the horizon. I want to uh, tag off of that idea of the expensive market. The um, the concept of being potentially in a bubble has come off a little bit with that extra volatility that we've seen and 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 the um, the direction of the market. You know, getting a little bit less expensive this year. But um, you know, bubbles were the ones bubbles were were the things that kind of popped the last two kind of financial crises and do you see in our landscape right now any any bubbles that we should be uh, looking at or be or be keeping aware of yes <laughs> three and we write about one in the blog this week if you're interested in reading more about it but I think look certainly cryptocurrency Bitcoin is a bubble um, I don't deny that the technology behind it, but they're a bubble. Second one is some some parts of tech. I mean, Amazon trades on 200 times earnings. So does Tesla. So does Netflix. I mean, these are great sort of get out of the way. They're changing the whole business model, economic fundamentals of the industries they're in. But nevertheless, that's still a very, very high multiple to pay. And, uh, and there's not much room for error on any of those. And with that, you get real true believers. We had a fund manager in here the other day, and you know he was a big proselytizer of, uh, of of some of these tech companies, particularly you know Tesla. And you know you can't argue at that point. You're not having a rational argument. So you know the, the these these uh, you know some of these stories get get bid up. And the other one is uh, commercial real estate. I mean, there's some commercial real estate, particularly, and that's is a global uh, global. Um, characteristic you know are incredibly expensive and 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 very high rents with a lot of leverage behind them and uh, mm. uh, that one tends not to show up as much because people can't touch it you know you don't really know what a building is worth until it transacts which is not very often or until mm -hmm. the, the the leases get renegotiated and they tend not to be negotiated at the same time so uh, there's just a lot of um, I you know the, the Fed has pointed this one out and they, they would have a better finger on this pulse from the beige book than, uh, than than most people so I think those are the three areas where they're they are bubbles. They're not likely to take down the economy uh, in the way that 2008 did and the big tech bubble of the late 90s. But there's still definitely things to be concerned about. And like bubbles, are they susceptible, you know, in the near to short, medium term, to popping? Well, that's that's the thing. You never know if you're in a bubble. You, mm -hmm. you, I mean, you can get some indicators, but. Uh, um, you know, when they go, they go fast. So uh, the best thing is to try and avoid them or mitigate some of your your risk exposure to them um, because every single bubble, you know, going all the way back to the South Sea bubble and tulip mania, there's, there's a perfectly well-articulated rationale at the time as to why it's going on. Well, thank you, Christian. Thanks to you for listening. Please join us next week. Thanks, everybody. And uh, please stick around for the... Disclosure, here it is. Please note this discussion of our investments and investment strategy, including our research and investment process, represents our investments 
uh, investment trading that data this commentary is subject to change without notice. We cannot assure that the type of investment discussed in the commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can we guarantee that such investments will present the best or attractive risk adjusted investment in the future. So for general information purposes only, references to any individual security should not be construed as recommendations to buy or sell at security. Securities mentioned in this commentary are only several of the successful and unsuccessful investments by us. We don't represent and do not represent all of the securities we have purchased, sold, or recommended. Although we deem reliable source of statistical information or information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements or numerical data. Past performance is no indication of future results.